hello listeners uh, we are back uh, on court and court with kk this is our second episode of uh, season 2021 um, we have had the longest presidential election in the world going still going on and we have a new president in the united states of america a lot of narrative around what's going to happen in the future is uh, been uh, talked about and uh, particularly from the indian diaspora in the us uh, how is the biden and uh, kamala harris uh, duo really going to look towards the india us geopolitics and investments and trade uh, in the next uh, four years to come in their tenure i have uh, invited uh, shridhar chitla is shridhar is a partner at uh, elevate innovation partners and uh, over his uh, 30 years of experience shridhar has worked into financial services such as jp morgan chase citibank wachovia wells fargo tektron uh, national australia bank commonwealth bank of australia and uh, he has been uh, an investor board member advisor to several fintech firms on product innovation and also been associated with uh, several uh, emerging technologies and financial services business uh, both uh, in the us and in india and across apac and uh, she does a list of achievements uh, and the positions that he has held both uh, in his personal capacity and in his um, um, you know industry uh, advisory capacity runs very long I'm really glad to have Shridhar on um, today's uh, podcast. Uh, so welcome Shridhar on today's uh, podcast, uh, World in Biden Era, Indo-US Geopolitics and Investments. Great, great. Thank you so much for the wonderful in- introduction, KKG. And uh, so happy to, uh, so ha- to, happy to be part of this great initiative uh, that you are involved in and it was wonderful to hear uh, the strategic context and the rationale with which how you started this effort and how it has now progressed into a very big large mammoth um, you know advocacy and awareness type of a program that you are engaged in so very happy to be here to be talking on a very uh, interesting topic on the threshold of the just concluded us elections excellent um so uh, shridhar let me just start uh, talking about you know uh, what is the whole speculation how would the democrats given their majority and the thin margin that they have uh, in washington and uh, president uh, joe biden really going to manage the politics and the political agenda in the in 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 the us and does he face headwinds in the us uh, uh, as far as we are concerned to be able to take some very tough decisions uh, coming out of uh, the whole covid uh, uh, new normal well i think um, given he has now um, controls the three branches of the government 
albeit with small majority, you know, presidential, the Senate and the House, uh, he clearly now has the mandate, albeit, uh, you know, bringing in as needed uh, Kamala Harris to cast the decisive vote in the Senate. Uh, he has an advantage to get ahead with his agenda. Um, the question, therefore, is how he balances that and, being and be able to swing some of the Republicans to buy into the agenda uh, is, is, an, is an interesting kind of uh, proposition uh, that we were all waiting. But he does have the mandate uh, and he does have the, uh, albeit very thin, and he does, he does as, as you say, the votes in the House uh, to get his agenda through. Excellent. My follow-on uh, question is, how strong a president would he be <coughs> given the issues at uh, at home uh, to be able to repair uh, some of the damages uh, from the previous Trump administration, uh, administration has done to uh, the world and the unity around the world, whether it is, uh, you know, counterterrorism, climate change, defense. Do you think Biden would be a strong uh, president who can, uh, first he has a big repair job to repair the country, which is divided into two and what we have seen at uh, the capital. Mm -hmm. uh, so he has a big task on hand uh, to first uh, focus on the country itself, then focus internationally in, in you know, moving forward with uh, all the agendas and issues that uh, the Trump administration left behind? Uh, well, I think first, first and foremost, I don't know whether Trump left behind a whole raft of global issues. Um, it was a very different policy uh, from the perspective of um, the prior years or the prior presidencies. Uh, Trump was a much more assertive uh, president. Um, there's a lot that was accomplished in, in four years of time under the Trump presidency. Um, he clearly, uh, you know, matched his rhetoric with actions. The formation, the Asia word name, Asia Pacific changed to Indo-Pacific. There was question right. mark whether that would change, uh, but now that that is continuing, the Indo-Pacific. Then the question came up, which is Quad, which is the quadrilateral strategy for uh, security, trade and energy, uh, which formed the epicenter. And then that further led to the the whole construct of the two plus two dialogue uh, between India and United States or between India and Japan, which furthered. Uh, and then a much broader strategic partnership as a defense deterrent uh, in the Indo-Pacific, extending all the way into in, in the Indian Ocean. But more specifically, the South China incursions, uh, which to some extent was quietened. Um, and then, of course, the, the West Asia-Israel peace accord that was never achieved by any past president all reflects in one's view a very constructive approach in terms of avoiding wars but at the same time putting if you have to use Ajit Doval's words you know it is defensive offense so there was strategic right. defense in terms of uh, the perspective in place um, and no war occurred under his watch which is very unusual when you look at the past four presidents. So therefore, right. he left behind a very different kind of a philosophy and his sing single-minded focus was around four important, uh, you know, uh, verticals or vertices, China, the threat of Iran, North Korea, and some of the issues around the Indochina border. These were the four major 
themes that uh, Trump was actively engaged in uh, as a strategic player. Uh, he kept North Korea quiet. He kept Iranians relatively quiet. And there was constant skirmishes, but it was to make sure that there was no further losses in South China Sea. And India stood by United States under the Trump presidency in the uh, in the confrontation that uh, that is still looming in the Himalayan region between India and, and China. So contrary to that, uh, Biden's policy would be uh, would be uh, there is an expectation they would be far more conciliatory to China. What does that mean? We don't know as yet. Does he mean that there is going to be free hand given uh, to China to do what it needed to do? Uh, in my humble view, which I have stood in public and made this comment, much of the South China issues that loomed uh, loomed during uh, the Obama Biden era. OK, so from almost nowhere to um, the entire what you call as the eight point line, uh, dotted line, um, the in uh, the China uh, Philippines in the Scarborough Shoals, uh, uh, you know, uh, dispute, uh, which was resolved in favor of uh, Philippines by ICJ, which China never um, kind of adhered to. The uh, the Sprotly Islands becoming a kind of a strategic military deployment, uh, expanding during that period. So all these kind of things have simmered on. Uh, to some extent, there was uh, to a large extent, some extent, but a large extent that remained a background issue, but a frontline paper with uh, with uh, the issues that are uh, that have propped up, uh, even including Tibet. So the uh, right. what we are going to witness is actually uh, yesterday, the Chinese uh, uh, senior officials have made a statement. The uh, strategic misunderstanding or mismanagement of China relationship must be corrected. Uh, the Hong Kong, uh, Taiwan uh, and uh, and the Uyghur issue should not be brought up. It is an internal matter. Uh, is what we are hearing from the Chinese side. So to answer your question, there's going to be a fundamental shift to what extent it is going to be, how much it is going to shift remains to be seen on the security side and the rhetoric of the dialogue between all the nations. Excellent. I just wanted uh, to also focus, uh, you know, Trump uh, had uh, decided to, during the COVID, move out of the WHO. Yeah. And not sponsor the organization. Yeah. I'm hearing that uh, the US is going to go back and rejoin uh, the WHO as one of the key sponsors. All right. So that's what I was uh, I was alluding to in my previous uh, question. No, I'll answer that question, which you is know, uh, even uh, you know where on the Defense Council India was proposed as a as a uh, permanent uh, member. Now there seems to be again statements where this is now being diluted by uh, the Biden uh, administration. So things like these is uh, uh, is uh, Biden going to be, as you mentioned, a very very headstrong uh, leader like Trump, who says and he who who does as you mentioned, or is he going to, as you mentioned, going to be soft peddling and um, going to very be very conciliatory um, in his approach uh, to all these issues uh, that the previous administration has left? Okay. Unfinished, I would say. Well, uh, let me go 
on the philosophical side, uh, Trump believed that these institutions were irrelevant and were not contributing and, 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 and politically compromised. So his, he had a firm belief and there was no economic value generated for the money that United States was investing either into United Nations or into WHO uh, or into Paris Accord uh, or into Green Program or into uh, into even IMF, W, uh, World Bank type of organizations. They were created post-World War II. Uh, they have not reformed themselves and it is still an old man's club or old boys club. And, uh, and and so therefore it was done. That's his, uh, this, that, that's his kind of uh, strategic and philosophical and policy perspective. So Biden is very clear. He says we will be joining WHO, we'll be working with WHO to find the common ground for tackling COVID pandemic around the world, sharing knowledge, practices, etc. So WHO, United States is going to be back. United Nations, They've already appointed uh, the ambassador for UN. Uh, Susan Rice was the previous one, and um, and then Nikki Haley, and then uh, from Republican side, and then now we're going to have uh, uh, Taylor Thomas. So, so we're going to have somebody um, coming in, and uh, they believe in United Nations as a forum and an institution to believe in the disputes. So, therefore, UN uh, Biden is very clear they'll be back in UN. Biden is equally clear. He will be rejoining the Paris Accord and committing $450 billion, which we all kind of uh, sit back and stand up or whatever you want to call and say, oh my God, what are we going to get out of this? Okay, so therefore he's joining uh, Paris Accord. Correct. Okay, and uh, Trump's view is that, uh, you know, most of the puffing is happening from, you know, China and India. This, uh, I was asked to comment on this Indian side. I said, Look, you know, he, he can make his comments, but the story is at the end of the day, you know, you look at the numbers, but the numbers India seems to be moving well towards achieving its goal, but it doesn't discount the fact that some still challenges in India. So his belief is that, uh, you know, he will join the Paris Accord. Um, and the last but not the least that you asked a question about UN Security Council permanent membership. Correct. Trump, Trump was emphatic that India has to be uh, Indian. He doesn't believe that India has to be in P5, but because he didn't feel it is relevant, but he, he certainly supported India, Japan, and Germany, uh, or France. I'm sorry, India, J India Japan, and Germany, uh, to people yeah, Germ in, the, in the UNSC, uh, United Nations uh, Security Council. He also wanted India to be uh, in G7 as a G8 member. Until Correct. the election transitioned, um, Boris Johnson had invited India to the, uh, India, Russia, and I think not, uh, I think India, G, he had G, three countries. G, uh, Japan, G, Japan, G5. Japan, Japan. Yeah. India, yeah. Uh, Brazil, uh, and Germany, or he had invited three specific countries, okay? Um, right. I, I remember India very clearly uh, was one of the people to be at the table, all right? right. now. That may not be the case uh, right now because Bob has not extended the invitation to uh, Prime Minister Modi. Um, these are the political differences and in terms of the UN. Uh, this question was asked uh, whether uh, you know India, you know whether there would be uh, whether India's uh, the continued uh, support 
there was indications in the obama biden administration for india to be in the un as in the permanent uh, as a permanent member right un security council permanent member but there seems to be a slightly uh, slipping trend right now which right. says that it needs to reconsider uh, and uh, it needs to look at the input and the views of egypt uh, you know turkey pakistan um brazil and so on and so forth or mexico is if you can you know they they have thrown few few uh, casts in and butts and so to me actually i'll be very candid i mean united india being in p5 in a strategic context um, this is my purely a personal view uh, is irrelevant india being a key member of continued extension and provision of quad which is very relevant to the region india being india and japan continuing to lead that effort is far more important than p5 okay uh, so, so now, these days nobody works to sanctions okay nobody works to sanctions iran has right. violated sanctions has enriched its uh, has enriched its uh, uh, uranium and is now almost days or months or weeks away from having nuclear material uh, right. it has constantly flouting and violating the norms of the oil um right. and uh, biden wants to go back to the iran accord that was signed and israel has stated no way you are going back to that accord and we are not going to keep quiet and we are not going to allow iran to be a nuclear power so there are these policy discussions and items that are coming up if you listen to um, jake sullivan the national security advisor if you listen to him he says india is pivotal and in india is important and we need to kind of this is his recent statement india has uh, you know india and china and J- india japan us have to have to change the narrative as to how they combat china if you listen to uh, janet or uh, tom uh, uh, and um, or uh, kurt uh, or if you listen to anthony blinken uh, kurt campbell is going to be the overall asian coordinator is a veteran diplomat very well known to the japanese and of course uh, dr jay shankar has worked uh, is a career diplomat he has relationship with a number of people um, on both sides of the of the aisle uh, he has worked with many of these people both as an ambassador uh, so he's well aware of the chinese so it's not something that is new for dr jay shankar to deal with these issues and prime minister modi himself has stated you know you need strategic flexibility in uh, dealing with the foreign policy issues i mean okay. when i look at the us side us is much more going to balance the traditional democratic party relationships that exist around the world is pakistan you know china and iran and um, i know they have had a very mixed relationship with north korea it remains to be seen what happens there by certainly uh, they want to resign the russia accord which is expiring this month so i think that's going to be done uh star treaty will be uh, renewed and then they were also looking at the nuclear so i think it's a very different approach that one will see whereas trump will upfront say these are stakes on the ground as far as us is concerned biden administration is going to say okay you know um, you know we have had a past relationship and we know this stuff and we know the issues and how we kind of work together so you're going to see much more dialogue and much more dialogue and and um, and this they could be reshaping of uh, of the relationships
there are four major issues that Biden is confronted with right now. And how he's going to deal with it will shape the overall foreign policy of Biden administration. The Myanmar coup is number one. Correct. South China now, China has sent its survey ships into the territories of the contested nations, right? And the same China, it has also expressed its ex willingness to, to send more planes into Taiwan as an imminent threat. So how he deals with that remains a question. The Iran um, is going to be another big issue in the hands of, of, uh, of uh, Biden. And then, of course, uh, you know, Tibet, there is a yeah. in the stimulus package, one point two billion dollars of aid is set aside for the Tibetans in terms of uh, the self-governance and Lama and so on. That's a sub substantive amount. So this is what the challenges that he faces. We have no idea how these decisions are going to be handled and made and what that means to the future next four years of Biden's foreign policy. I mean, well put, uh, uh, laying down the whole uh, landscape, uh, Sridhar, really appreciate. I want to shift a little bit gears towards India. I think uh, in the whole presidential uh, team, uh, this uh, presidential team as the highest number of Indians working uh, for the White House ever. Is that true? And if that's true, you know, how can uh, the Indian diaspora really swing things for India? What do you think about it? Well, it's very interesting because, uh, you know, numbers uh, don't necessarily mean things in work in your favor. Um, it is a well-known fact. Vast number of Indian Americans are, um, uh, you know, have a democratic affinity. Uh, and Republicans uh, tried to change the course um, and to bring more and more uh, Indian Americans into the diaspora. Modi played a big role. The Trump-Modi bondage played a big role. Correct. If I have Modi. to say, if Trump, uh, Trump uh, contests uh, an election to be the president of India, he will win probably hands down by a vast majority. <laughs> right. uh, because uh, Indians love his style of leadership, uh, you know, which is, uh, you know, take the take the bull by its horn and, you know, and, and shake it. So therefore, you will begin to see, um, you know, there's a lot of support for him to kind of come back. Look, we have had three major issues with regard to India. OK, one issue is this, uh, you know, CAA, Article 370. Uh, repealing of the Article 370, Citizenship Amendment Act, Article 35A, National Register of Citizens, which is not the business of United States. Okay. okay. But they have been passing councils, after councils, about seven councils have passed resolutions, all controlled by Democrats against the policies of this, which they call discriminatory without complete lack of understanding. Even they put their foot in the mouth on the recently ongoing farmers agitation. Right. And you see banners and posters in West Coast and some parts of America, which is around the farmers agitation, which is a reflection of more political activism rather than economic reality. Okay. 
and vast parts of it comes from the democratic side without kind of mincing words. It was also the Quad led by Pramila Jaipal, Kamala Harris, Ilman, Rashida, and so on, who said they need to summon Dr. Jay Shankar to the House to be questioned around human rights violations. When you had major issues in India during the February visit, uh, Shahin Bagh, when he was asked a question, he said, Modi is the Prime Minister of India. It's an internal matter. They know how to, they will know how to handle the situation. Correct. Modi should not be advising me if I have communal rights in United States, whether I'm competent enough to handle it. But that is the philosophical difference between the two parties. So these guys are going to bring up. So whether you have 20 Indians or 40 Indians in the administration, if the philosophical mindset is to because of we have lobby groups, we have activity activism groups, etc. And when you have these asymmetric issues, okay, if you have human rights issues, why do you why you are Chinese is China is a strategic partner? You mean there are no human rights issues in China? Right. And I mean there are no human rights issues in Pakistan. There are no human rights issues in Iran. There's no human rights issues in some of the African countries. What is it that Democrats or Democratic Party have a specific flavor towards India, notwithstanding the fact India today under Trump has become the eighth largest trading partner of United States and United States is India's largest trading partner displacing China. We have had a 20% India has had 20% contraction or 25% contraction in volume of trade with China, whereas it has almost doubled when you add um, sorry, when you add the energy, Correct. Uh, which made up the bulk of you know 39, 40 million barrels. Uh, at one point of time, you know, United States was to be used as a strategic reserve, but now I think India says uh, it has alternate options. And India is the largest today exporter of uh, students to United States, close uh, to $200,008 billion in volume. Correct. So therefore, all this happened, which uh, sometimes the Democrats don't agree, but all this happened under Trump. Correct. And vast seeds of it occurred during Obama-Biden. So if you take a look at these numbers and the philosophical shift, it's very hard unless you see some action and traction over the next four years, whether 20 or 40 is going to be material. But there's a precedence of some of the issues that has occurred within the democratic uh, controlled uh, local councils, which doesn't augur well if these issues are presented front and center of India-US relationship. <laughs> Very well said. Uh, so we just pick up a little bit uh, on on uh, further on the trade uh, uh, before we go to the student and immigration and visa and whatnot and uh, India and tech and uh, services and manufacturing. Last uh, year, uh, U.S.-China trade uh, was the highest. It's about 535 billion. In spite of the COVID, uh, you know, disruptions in supply chain and uh, 
trade being step up from India to replace China with with some of the trade policies. Shridhar, uh, I want to know now um, what can we do to really push, you know, making India maybe the top four trade partners of uh, US and uh, a very strategic trade partner in this side of the world. Uh, what sort of uh, agenda the Indian diaspora and the Indian uh, government needs to set up with uh, Biden to really convince to continue the embargo on, on Chinese uh, trade and, and really push other trade partners forward? India, if I'm correct, um, you know, I always look at it from the US side. India, if I'm correct, focuses um, most recently, I think less in the last, uh, there was a statement issued by the Chinese foreign ministry, which is that India has been influential in steering United States away from China as a strategic player, raising a raft of issues, including the uh, the, uh, the Tibetan and the Himalayan uh, skirmishes and then unwarrantedly unwarranted extending itself into South China and in Indian Ocean is a quad. India responded by saying US China is a US China matter. India has nothing to do with it. And I think that's generally the policy. US is a strategic partner of India. US stands by all its strategic partners, be it here, be it Taiwan when China tried it, tried to kind of bulldoze and harass, so they supported. It said it was to support Philippines, so because US Philippines have a dialogue. It was to support Korea. So same thing. Mike Pompeo has repeatedly come and said, look, the the BECS agreement, bilateral exchange communication services agreement that it signed is basically to give strategic access because China is occupying India and threatening. Maybe even Indian politicians don't say it, but United States came and said, and we stand with India. Mike Pompeo has said, and President Trump has said that part. China doesn't, so therefore that's a US-India kind of strategic partnership uh, and the mutual respect uh, that uh, the, the two nations have. So India will always steer, and same with US, uh, his, I mean, traditionally uh, bilateral in terms of how they form relationships and how they build it. They form a regional cooperation only when you have a shared agenda amongst nations that is part of the region. If you have seven countries in the region, if six countries agree or five countries agree, then that occurs. So you will not find uh, you will not find uh, uh, any change in the India-US dialogue on an ongoing basis. And I think Indians today are very different to what India was, you know, 10 years ago, right? It's exactly. a very strong economy, very strong economy. Um, it is now a leading player in a number of segments, verticals from mobile to solar to uh, uh, now pharma to, uh, you know, major infrastructure effort is underway. No need to talk about IT, where you all come from. Uh, you know, India is a big provider of IT services to Europe. So I think, you know, in the, uh, India is also a major now exporter for, of defense under a joint partnership from United States, uh, as with France and, and so on. So I think to me, um, is the geopolitics which will uh, shape 
the India-US in terms of agreements and disagreements, not just India-US in its own right. Let's move on to the tech part of it now. You see, India banned a lot of Chinese apps and products uh, due to political reasons. And obviously, uh, Trump and uh, administration also endorsed and also thought of even banning some of those uh, apps and including Huawei, uh, whatever you. Uh, then comes this whole WhatsApp privacy issue and uh, the Indian government requesting WhatsApp to work on the privacy issue and, and be India uh, specific. Do you think uh, the Biden administration will support Chinese and force India to open up uh, these apps again uh, in the in Indian uh, soil or just because uh, India had to hit back on, on one of their tech companies, there's going to be some sort of a retaliation. They're going to go and play the politics and say, OK, you open up Chinese and, and blah, blah, blah. And this becomes another uh, trade war on tech and tech products uh, coming in the future. Uh, look, I think that um, as a US, uh, United States, Indian American, uh, I would like to see um, India assert its right. Okay. Uh, same as a US with a conservative kind of a mindset and a free market mindset. Um, I would like to see um, a tech platform is a tech platform. I think that's where it begins and ends. One of the biggest challenges is not geopolitics. One of the biggest challenges the world faces in the next three to five years is the unfortunate collaboration of tech, media, and the so-called, um, you know, liberal come uh, jihadi kind of uh, um, networks. The influence is uh, unfairly prejudiced or biased towards one side of the fence that you have seen by way of observations. Okay. okay. They have not dared to shut down Modi, but they have dared to shut down a president of the most powerful nation in the world from Twitter, right? Trump. Okay. But 88 million followers. Okay. So to me, when I look at India, when you look at India, India is the home to the largest WhatsApp users. India is home to one of the large Twitter users. India is home to the second largest mobile users. India is also home to <coughs> a very large diaspora of tech developers. So in that context, India has all the power and the might and the right economic, political and a strategic context to shape its narrative, not to make, not to be undermined. So the most recent changes that are coming in and the discussions that have happened between the Indian communications and uh, corporate or law ministry with the tech platforms and the revolving journey with the tech platforms is the right course, which is to say, you may have policies elsewhere. You want to do business with us, then you have to do business the way that we set down the policies, which is as per our democratic constitution. Well, are you not doing that in China? So please try to have, otherwise China will shut you down. 
you are banned in China because you can't follow the Chinese policies. We're not going to ban you, but we're going to ask you whether you comply. If you don't comply, then you know we're not. Unfortunately, in United States, we have the 230 Amendment, which basically, and then we have the First Amendment. Uh, the 230 Amendment is gives the immunity from any liability uh, that uh, these companies can be subjected to for their actions. So that's why they are behaving like uh, 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 mediators. So the point that I'm trying to make is that India has to determine its course. US absorbing these applications does not mean India will India will you know uh, follow the same. India followed because there was political and military threat from Chinese uh, threatening the sovereignty of India. There was also lots of activism within I think they arrested few people, three, four, five people, you know, uh, right. in, in India. So therefore, I think India's decisions stand, you know, indicated on the basis of what it believes it's uh, it's beneficial or where it uh, whether it is not a political or military threat to the sovereignty of the nation. So I will not see just because United States says I'm lifting the ban, India lifting the ban. No, there's no way. I don't see that. Unless China says, I'm going to withdraw from all boundaries. There's no border. India, you know, you take back your land. You know, we have our land. You don't interfere with us. We don't interfere with you. That's very unlikely. China yeah. never leaves. Never leaves. It only threatens more and more. It is just the policy of uh, the communist policies of the Chinese who think they own the whole earth. All they have to see is go back and look what they were, you know, 70, 100 years ago to where they, ha where they are today. So I, to me, um, I think India asserting its position is the right position and I believe India will continue to. Moving on from here to cyber terrorism and terrorism, uh, would love to understand um, how are things going to shape up? Uh, uh, you know, issue on uh, cyber terrorism and terrorism, obviously India and US are very much aligned and uh, the Trump administration was very much aligned on international terrorism and cyber terrorism. Do you think these policies would continue in the Biden era and um, would India and US invest further in enhancing the tech and everything around the cyber terrorism? and come up uh, with a much more uh, safer world uh, in the next four years of this uh, administration? Uh, it's a great question. It's a great question. Uh, I know there was a collaboration mooted to ban Huawei and the 5G to be developed by a consortium of Japan, uh, France, Britain, India, United States, and many other countries were to join, which moved away from the Huawei. Uh, and India was at the one of the forefront of uh, that development. Um, and when the change of administration occurred, um, because of the policy, some policy issues that could prop up, uh, Japan immediately helped India with some of the software because India was dismantling the Huawei um, infrastructure. Uh, so therefore, on that Huawei 5G AI side, I think India and Japan and Britain and France and maybe Germany, um, to some extent, uh, United States will collaborate. But it remains to be seen how this, how, how strong the US relationship in this 
specific domain as it relates to mitigating uh, cyber uh, cyber attacks and cyber terrorism and this is on the technology development side. In terms of knowledge and information sharing, I think that probably would kind of continue. Okay. Um, having said that, China and Russia are considered to be a little more advanced on the cyber uh, relative to United States or India. Okay, that's just a fact which uh, the security experts on all sides kind of acknowledge, right? So Correct. cyber terrorism, there would be a collaboration. Um, on the terrorism side, I think this is where this India, Pakistan and US, Pakistan and, you know, uh, issues could prop up because you have US, Pakistan, China, Pakistan, you have Iran, Pakistan, you have now Turkey, Pakistan. So how this and then the good news here is the India, West Asia, West Asian nations are, you know, Saudi Arabia, UAE, you know, Oman and all these types of people. Right. So the story is how this will shape up uh, is um, West Asia, I think India has got both on the investment side as well as on the uh, the security side, you know, well tied up. Uh, the well on the uh, the 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 deal that uh, 35 billion dollars deal that was or 18 billion 35 billion dollars deal that Correct. was signed by the UAE on the the latest F35s is now on the is what you call as a hold because um, Biden administration is reassessing. Um, all the export commitments on the military technology, right? I mean, you know, what they're going to do, we don't know. So on the terrorism side, uh, you talked about some of these 20 people. Remember, there's also a lot of uh, Pakistani Americans who are part of the Biden administration in very key and strategic positions, mm-hmm. uh, just as these uh, Indian Americans are. So therefore, I'm not very optimistic on the... Um, um, on the terrorism side under the present Biden administration. The classic example is what happened on uh, 26th November in, in, during, the, during that specific phase, right? So uh, I'm not kind of so uh, positive. So it is going to be a simmering issue, but India will deal with it. We also have the China-Pakistan digital um, uh, belt road. We also have the China, Pakistan, uh, the new road that they're trying to lay from. Uh, that's that's a little bit on the back burner at this point in time. Yeah. The Chinese yeah. having kind of pulled back and yeah, so. There's yeah, yeah. So I, I, yeah, good, good. So I think that they, uh, to answer your question, I think uh, we, we're cyber, I think they would be on the terrorism side. We need to see. Excellent. You know, my son is studying in the US. He just got a job and I don't know what's what's going to happen in future when Trump had put a visa bans and everything on, uh, you know, students uh, uh, getting visas for students and yeah. whatnot. And then suddenly uh, this whole simmering issue of uh, H-1B visas and uh, tech visa green card issues for the techies, Indian uh, techies working in the US pursuing the American dream. What do you think uh, would happen now on the immigration issue? Uh, I'm more worried as a father. Do I need to call back my son uh, after he finishes his uh, whatever quota of his years in the US or does he pursue an American dream? Right, right. Okay, I think I'll give you two answers for this. Okay. Um, The first answer that I would give you is um, United States is going to decriminalize 
illegal border crossing okay, okay. decriminalize so in other words what they're saying is if you happen to be in the border and if you come across the border as illegal we're not going to treat you as illegal, uh, as a criminal and we're going to somehow figure out as to how to uh, to harmonize you okay uh, so there is a completely diametrically opposite policy which is opposed by customs and border patrol called cbp right the second is called as open borders so which is effectively to say you know we need to have much more open borders there is a conciliatory policy on asylum seekers is going to be an officer in charge so to to answer your question if your son were to kind of have a backpack and you know be in the mexican border and figure out a way to cross is come into united <laughs> states you and then wait for 5 year 8 year 10 year normalization process so we have opened mm. uh, opened the world just today the news is that you know we have to harmonize all these 12 million illegal people and integrate them into the society we got to make find a way so it's good right. news for you on that front is already in so is already so in but do not go for the green card process which takes i don't know no 10 years 15 years in some to, of the places to better to right. just cross the border and enter illegally yeah easy <laughs> not like us you know people uh, came 40 50 years ago you know 40 years ago you know correct. go through oful and gre1 and gre2 and recommendation letters and Know, get the parents to borrow money and uh, you know and make your way and study and get scores and do two masters and uh, then find a job and then go through the normalization you just uh, stand in the border you come across uh, you find a way you're in <laughs> you have the basic skills and talent you can you can work it's a new you know it's a new america that, uh, <laughs> that we have uh, that we are uh, creating here okay so it's much easier Uh, under under their Biden under this new progressive democratic uh, policies that are likely to come in. Now, in terms of the future, um, you know, I don't know what the Indians kind. Of, when I look at the next twenty years or twenty years, thirty-four percent of the global GDP comes from Asia today. If I take two thousand thirty, close to forty percent of GDP. If I take two thousand. 2000 2030 it's 40% 2040 it's about 44% by the time we get to 2050 which is not too far or even you take next 10 15 years asian gdp will contribute 54 to 56% of the world gdp so the economic balance has shifted vietnam is china 2 on manufacturing taiwan is china 1b in terms of its overall industrial electronic semiconductor capabilities so therefore when you look at asia as the most dynamic and if you take a look at india relative to you know we were uh, you know going back to 97 98 we were inviting cobol programmers and you know white uk coder programmers uh, assembler to fix our uh, it systems okay the world has changed today uh, i don't i don't even know many technologies that kind of drive this new social and collaborative and ai and robotics and all these kinds of you know wham bam stuff so india is kind of evolving there so i see a bright future uh, is about a global dream 
with an Eastern mindset. And uh, so East is where the future is. Um, by the time we get to 2050, United States GDP as a relative global share from 27% is going to come down to about 14%. Well, that tells you where the world is heading, which is the reason why the whole economic trade and security strategy of Modi is act east and look east, which aligns with Japan, which aligns with Vietnam, which aligns with Singapore to some extent, which also aligns with West Asian nations. So I think that would be my answer to you, KK. Excellent, uh, Sridhar. I'm afraid we have run out of time, but um, I'm really glad to have got your mind and your thoughts on what's going to happen. It's been really enlightening for us and the audience here. Uh, what's really going to pan out? And at least uh, some of our audiences have uh, gained uh, hearing from you what going to happen next or what are the possibilities on the India US uh, front. I'd like to thank you for uh, being part of the show. Before I just wrap up, I would love to thank our sponsors, our team, and uh, who have made this uh, show possible. Our next uh, uh, podcast is on health. We're going to talk about aging and uh, post-COVID uh, uh, in the new normal. Uh, so wait for our announcement for our next podcast. Thank you once again, uh, Sridhar, uh, for taking time out and talking to us. Have Thank a nice you. day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.